So the, uh, today's message is Keeper of Holy Fire, and we're going to start out in Leviticus. I put them in order, so if you want to follow along, I know i got a lot of verses up there, a lot of little um, sections opposed to uh, reading the entire chapter. So Leviticus 6, 8-13, through 13, then Matthew 3.11, and Matthew 6.25-34, and Mark 12, 41-44, John 12, 1 through 8, Matthew 26, 13, Luke 24, 49, and then Acts 2, 1 through 13. So just um, forgive me for a little bit of the bouncing around, but so, sometimes you get a message and it's really struggling, just distracted this week, um, and then realize that what the Lord was trying to show me was that the distraction was actually what the message was. Um, so... It's kind of where we'll start out. I just thank you, God. I just thank you, Lord, for your wisdom and your relationship, for your guidance and your direction. I just ask you to give us ears to hear and hearts to listen. And just thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, whenever it gets cold outside, I start to think about my dad. Um, you, know, you hear the stories of, of some people, and it just gives you the story, wide eyes of like, wow, I, I, don't even, I can't even imagine what that must have been like. Um, but my dad would always tell the stories about when he was younger and they were tenant farmers and they were living on a farm. It was a drafty old farmhouse. And he said that um, by the next morning, the wood stove would have gone out and there beside his bed, his glass of water had a skim of ice on it. And that was very common. So as a young lad, I don't know, maybe seven to me, probably too young to start a fire. Right. But uh, for him, it was it was very very normal. He'd shuffle out of bed, get his slippers on, get down to the, um, to the kitchen, get the wood stove started, he said. He'd open the door, get the fire started, and he would slide up underneath the wood stove as it started to, to heat up to get warm. And I was like, man, can you imagine having to go through all that in the morning, you know, not having enough heat in the morning? And I know for a lot of you, that might be something that you can remember, and it was fairly normal. It was just a part of life. But for me, I'm just used to waking up to everything being that consistent 68 or 70 degrees, and it's probably made me um, a bit soft and a bit complacent. But that's what we're talking about this morning is about a, a fire, but not necessarily a physical fire. We're talking about a Holy Spirit fire, but we're going to start um, in Leviticus 6, 8 through 13, talking about an actual fire, and it's actually the fire of um, sacrifice, burnt offerings. So Leviticus 6, starting with verse 8, says this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering itself shall remain on the hearth of the altar all night until the morning, and the fire on the altar is to be kept burning on it. And the priest is to put on his linen robe and to and he shall put on garments next to his flesh, and he shall take up the ashes of, um, to which the fire reduces the burnt offering on the altar and place them beside the altar. And then he shall take off his garments and put on other garments and carry the ashes outside of the camp to a clean place. And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. So there's a second time. But the priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall lay out the burnt offering on it 
and offer up and smoke the fatty portions of the pieces of offering on it. And the fire shall be kept burning continually on the altar and is not to go out. So the picture on the, um, this altar of sacrifice that the, in the Levitical priests were dealing with, um, we bring our sacrifices, our burnt offerings to the Lord so he can atone for our sins, for various different things it goes through. That's not so much as important as what we're talking about with the fire. So you bring your offering to the Lord. The priest would make sure the fire was going and your, tens would be, your sins would be covered over. Not taken away, covered over. And that was the Old Testament um, way that things were happening. And in Leviticus 9, you'll see um, the presence of the Lord actually burns a, uh, an offering up. So that God's presence, his fire comes down from heaven and burns up the offering. So the fire here is representative of God's power and his promise is atoning um, presence. And it's, it's this image of sanctification that we have in the New Testament, right? It's, it's this place where um, it says we baptize you, that Matthew 3.11 scripture, as for me, I baptize you with water and repentance, but he who is coming after me is um, mightier than I, and I am not to fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So every time we look and we see fire in the scriptures, it's, it's always referring to purification. It's, it's refer, referring to like trials and, and God's making us um, more conformed into his image. So that's the new covenant perspective of fire. Um, you know, I, I guess when we, we talk about like, okay, so you have this fire of the Holy Spirit that's within us, right? And we talk about how we're in a relationship and we're praying and we're hanging out. And I, was, I really felt like on Thanksgiving when we were talking, we actually ended up doing um, ours on Black Friday. We had kind of a weird situation. Our turkey refroze in the refrigerator downstairs. So we had it falling out and it refroze and we just cooked it on, on uh, Black Friday. But during that weird little process as we were doing that at the house, it was like, we barely got our Thanksgiving prayers done, and we like the, the turkey had barely gotten cold, and now everybody's talking about, hey, Black Friday shopping, and we're going to um, buy this, and you got to get that, and all those, the principalities, and the, um, just, just the struggles. I was talking to, to Judy about it downstairs. It just takes away from, like, we, our prayer didn't even get cold yet, right? Like, we, we didn't even, like, soak into the, thanks, the thankfulness of the season, and we're already talking about buying all this stuff. And I can't imagine, I'm not, I understand, you know, we're buying stuff for other people, but like I told Judy, I said, I get the feeling that some of this is about self and acquiring stuff for yourself and checking yourself with that. So I don't know if you can, um, you can sympathize at all with, with Ashley or I, but Early in their marriage, I mean, I was really, I wasn't a believer. And, and so I was really hung up into this whole getting the very best and giving the very best and um, worried, you know, oh my goodness, someone gave me a Christmas gift and I didn't have anything for them yet and I didn't get a card. And I mean, I would just drive Ashley about half crazy every year. I think sometimes I still drive her about half crazy. Um, but just the principality behind it, which is not the reason for the season. That's just worry, right? It's, and all those things were, were just things that I had built up in my mind. They were, they were 
the principality of the world, the way the world works. If you don't get me something, um, I'm going to be upset or frustrated with you. So you have all that weight on you and you're carrying that around. That's what we call commercialism, right? Consumerism. We're going to go through some of the scriptures here um, and see how Jesus attacks consumerism, commercialism, in a very direct way. And he actually gives us a way of battling it, which is really cool. So here in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, take a little chunk here. It says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on it. It is not your life more than a food and the body more than clothing. So he's saying renounce, rebuke, right? The lies of worry and doubt. Okay, this next little section says, Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? So now he goes from the worry, which is an inward action, to look, which is an outward action, right? He continues on, he says, And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to your life? I mean, I think we can all attest that when you're worrying, you're actually taking away from your life, you're losing moments um, that you could be spent with people and hanging out with the Lord and just being grateful. And worry just soaks all that up. The worry's the inward part of that. Why are you worried about clothes, he said. So there's... Now this next part, look here, we, get, we have another outward part. He says, observe. Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spend. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So again, observe outward, worry inward. It's, it's this battle or fight that, that Jesus is trying to um, get us to understand, seek, seek um, something here. And down here in verse 31, he steps out. A little bit further, as he's, he's addressed, observe and worry, he says this. He says, do not worry then saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what we will wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek his, first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself each day has enough trouble of its own. Uh, so we're to rebuke the inward worry that we have by seeking the outward. And Jesus uses that, um, but first seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And basically what he's saying is, is Christ died on a cross for a righteousness, right? So it's a relationship. There's a relationship that we have with God with this. This is stoking the fire that we have that holy fire that we're talking about with the Holy Spirit. We're receiving what God's doing in our life. We're paying attention. We're looking outwardly. Um, maybe we're struggling with something. We're giving that to the Lord. And the Lord is building us into his character and nature. It's not um, something to be worried about. It's something to be thankful for. 
So there's plenty of people in Scripture that have this fire and have tended to the the fire of relationship that they have with Jesus um, and with God. And I wanted to go through a couple of these examples, um, really powerful examples. And for me, I I just really love the example. So just to start there in Mark 12, 41 through 44, there's a, an unassuming um, poor widow. And this is what um, Jesus sees and that he calls out from what he sees from her. And it says this, he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury and many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came up put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. And calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors of the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Now, this isn't an example of getting someone to tithe more. This is, this is something spiritually that talks about a relationship with Jesus. I want to make sure that I point that out. Though the thing that I love about this story is when you see faith like that, someone does something that's completely bonkers in your mind, like faith-wise, make sure you go and do yourself justice and ask them why. How did you do that? Why did you do that? There's a faith part to the reason why she stood there. I can't tell you. It doesn't tell you in the story why she... She did that. She either she was taught something in her character. Um, she knew that God was going to move. She trusted God in a way that most of us would struggle with. But she just like went after it. Lizzo was like, yeah, I'm just going to put everything that I have. Don't need anybody to see what I'm doing. I'm just going to do it. And Jesus was like, no, it's so important. I'm going to call it out right here. So she was stoking the fire of her faith. What a beautiful thing just something that we could really truly learn from our next account is is quite the same and it's when you when you hear the amount here it's 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 really quite remarkable but there in the anointing of jesus where he gets anointed by mary um i don't know if you guys are familiar with the amount of money but when i when i tell you it it really kind of floored me it was the first time i had ever checked on that but the account goes like this um, in John 12, 1 through 8, it says, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there. And Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. And Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped, her, wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So there's this beautiful thing. Now, here's the resistance. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now he said this. Not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the, the money box, and he used to um, 
steal from it, take what he wanted. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of... Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. So this nard that she uses, perfume is, in today's value is worth $50,000. I mean, when was the last time you just took something that was worth $50,000 and you just like used it on somebody else? I mean, I don't know if there's anybody in here that just blew $50,000 on somebody, but that's quite remarkable to me. And it's, it's such a, a huge account that actually in Matthew 26, 13, Jesus says this. He says, truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken in memory of her. I mean, it's in all four gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So here Jesus prophetically is saying, yep, it'll be in all four Gospels. It'll be, it'll be talked about throughout the world. And she t- kicks up this relational fire of obedience to a whole nother level, and she becomes a fire starter. Um, it's from this place that we hear a testimony of the, the obedience of Mary that we, we step out in faith, and, and yet we like start relationships with the Lord with other people. And we catch other people on fire by, by the testimony of, of what God's doing through the obedience of what, what we have with Christ. So the next little section that we're going to go to, when we talk about fire starting that relationship, we retain this fire and it just gets out of the fire ring, so to speak, and it catches other people, happens here with radical obedience. So Mary did this thing that was, um, some would say, wasteful, and here she was obedient to it. I'm sure she didn't fully understand what she was doing, but she, she did it nonetheless. And here in Luke 24, 49, in a very persecuted place, the church is uh, waiting after Jesus um, has died, and he, he came back, and he told, he's telling them this. He's like, this is what I need you to do, and um, everyone's being sought after, and so people could go to jail, people could die. They seen what happened to Jesus. Jesus was put on a cross. So it's, they're pretty terrified. I'm, I'm sure that it's, it's a bad situation. But this is what, what Jesus says to him. It's counterintuitive. He says this, And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. So by the grace of God, they stayed 50 days in hiding and persecution and struggle to wait on this promise that Jesus had made. And they managed to spur each other on and through the grace of the Holy Spirit stay for those 50 days and rebuke the worry. And here in Acts 2, 1 through 13, we'll see what happens with fire. So they waited the 50 days and they're in the upper room and When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly they came from heaven, a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak with other tongues 
as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that, what, um, that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medias and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, and I about butchered every word that's in there, um, Pygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, surgeons and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and they were um, all full of sweet wine. And of course, Peter comes back and he says to them, he's like, look, we're not drunk. It's like 10 in the afternoon. And um, there was, I think like 5,000 people that were saved in that upper room. These people were, you know, I, I'm telling you, I can't even pronounce the regions where these people were from. And they're hearing languages and dialects from where they were born. I mean, God is just moving with, with this Holy Spirit and fire down on this place, and many were saved. And that's the point I'm talking about, stoking the fire. We stay out of our commercialism. We stay out of um, these places, just allowing the Holy Spirit to move. Um, this holiday season, I just want to make sure that we stay centralized and focused on what God's doing. There's, there's an opportunity out there for us to be pouring in the people. Um, we just need to listen and obey and trust and be spontaneously combustible, right? So I just, I just thank you, Lord, so much. Ashley, would you come up? I just thank you, Lord, so much for what you're doing. We're going to take some time to just stay in Thanksgiving. We're never going to move to Black Friday. We're just going to stay in Thanksgiving through this entire season. And we're going to continue to let Thanksgiving flow out of us. And we're going to wait on you. And we're going to be obedient to you. And we're going to be stoking the fire of our faith so that we can see others changed. We just thank you, Lord, for that. We just thank you, Lord, for that in Jesus' name.